there. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Hannah. My pronouns are they, them. This is a podcast on queer folks' favorite tunes. Thank you for listening to Queer Sounds. Um, introducing the summer of music. During July and August, I will have a whole l lovely list of musical features lined up. And the first one, the second one, I'm not entirely sure in what order I'm releasing these episodes. So there you go. Um, but anyway, hi there, Jess. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Um, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Your names, your pronouns, what do you do? Yeah. Um, so I'm Jess. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Um, and I'm a music producer um, out in Colorado. Uh, and yeah, I'm doing mostly electronic music, um, sort of a fusion between house and hyper pop and all of my other disparate interests. So, um, I wanted to start out by, before we, before we dive into your music career and everything we will be talking about today, um, what I noticed during our uh, first call earlier is that you've got a very pink decorated room. I'm not entirely sure if that's just the lamp that you're using or... Uh, or, or if you have actually put a lot of thought into that, but it, I feel like the room in which you're recording this is very much in style with your press pictures. Is that is that deliberate? Um, it's not quite intentional, but actually, um, so we're in my studio, and I have um, I have an overhead lamp that you know it's just like an inset LED light uh, with like a glass dome, and the lighting was like comically bright, like totally inappropriate for like a studio which i feel like should be a bit more mellow of a space and it was like super harsh bright white overhead lighting so i got like a reddish colored spray paint and just spray painted the glass dome and yeah it casts a a nice um sort of reddish pink vibe over everything um in addition to all the other sort of rgb lights i have around so yeah is that also how you got the inspiration for like your 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 press pictures or is that just something that kind of happened um it's coincidental i mean i have kind of consistent aesthetic preferences um in terms of lighting for like my very pink press photo like i definitely wanted a very pink on pink um kind of vibe but yeah i guess it's just more indicative of my tastes how would you describe your aesthetic taste oh god i mean um i'm tempted to just say gaudy but that's probably a little self-deprecating um maybe maximalist if i was really um trying to find a charitable way to put it <laughs> i'm not entirely sure what gaudy means but that's just me sure kind of tacky <laughs> okay okay well there's 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 oh, a the there's a very positive vibe to tacky, right? I feel like we've reclaimed that at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's had its ups and downs. Um, <laughs> it might be more a moment. <laughs> there is a very thin line between tacky and camp. I mean, we all know we love camp. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's get some music going on here. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to mix this, but I'm going to go ahead and just give it a try. Let's just press play on this. Um 
the first track of the day the from the legendary Herbie Hancock. Uh, we're not going to listen to the entire 15 minutes, but if you're going to give a chameleon a try, might as well make it last, right? Here we go. is such a vibe it's so easy to just kind of lose yourself in this one and you know kind of forget that you're supposed to do a podcast because holy shit this is a groove i'm loving it um chameleon herbie hancock off of the album headhunters um again we're not going to do the entire 15 minute version but if you're interested to listen to the whole thing you can check out the queer sounds podcast uh the, the queer sounds spotify playlist uh, there you'll have the pleasure of listening to all of the songs uh featured on this podcast over the last year um you can just find it by you know looking for queer sounds uh, all one word released 1973 once again chameleon by herbie hancock why did you select this song for today jess um i mean first of all because it's just a banger um I mean, I think in in a lot of ways, it's just a um, a precursor in terms of my interest of a lot of the sort of dance music I've gotten into. Um, 
because yeah, I mean, 15 minutes and you just get locked into that groove. Such a phenomenal baseline. Yeah, it's a, just a great track. And I think um, the prompt for that was something from my past or something. Yeah, it's like a, a, a musical memory, something that makes you feel nostalgic, something that has a story connected to it. Yeah, when I was in middle school, um, I was in like school band and I played like the drum kit. And um, I had one other guy that I would switch off with on the drum kit because we both wanted to play the drums. And so like, you know, one of us would get stuck with like a tambourine or like the triangle uh, when the other one was on the kit. And um, yeah, I don't even know that I was I played to that song, but I heard it a bunch. And um, it was just like such a captivating bass line. Um, you know, I hadn't heard something so funky before. And um, yeah, going from hearing sort of uh, a not great school band rendition of it, I, I won't I won't trash talk my school band too much. We were decent for being a bunch of kids, frankly. Um, it's surprising. It turned out better than maybe the, the listener might expect. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the performance you hear on the record, uh, to say the least. And um, yeah, going from that to, um, it was a while before I actually heard the record. And then, um, yeah, it's just, it really opened up that whole world of like, jazz fusion for me um really cool bass lines i mean i i aspire to to write bass lines that good um and that that like they just persist through the track and lock you in and um you know you just get lost in the the groove um i feel like that's what i want to do with dance music and um yeah it's just a a phenomenal track it is um do you remember first listening to the uh, the studio version? I don't specifically remember the first time. Um, I definitely have memories associated with listening to it, though, uh, that are quite good. Do you remember what your reaction was when you were listening to it? Um, like the, I can imagine, like if you're used to your middle school band version, and all of a sudden you hear this, like as. Um, as good as bad as it comes, I can imagine that's like overwhelming. Like, holy shit, this is this sounds so funky. This sounds so great, and I couldn't. We did a good job, but I can't believe someone actually did better. You know? Oh yeah, no, I'm sure. I was like, oh shit, like it's just amazing. And hearing the full 15 minutes of it, like there's so much more than I was I ever <laughs> would have been exposed to prior. And yeah, the studio version is just so tight and locked in and the groove is just it's it's on it it's so in the pocket and so like it's like the platonic ideal of a quality bass groove <laughs> so you're in, if you're in middle school playing this song um i'm not entirely sure when middle school is but i reckon it's like when you're around 12 to 14 um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so <laughs> you got it. All right. Well, thank you, American media, for teaching me something about your educational <laughs> system. Um, but I can very well imagine, like, that's also the around the time when your musical taste starts to develop a little bit. Like, you you become exposed to more music in whichever way. Um, most people would go for like pop or rock or metal but then here you are a 13 year old kid listening to herbie hancock like th that must have been a little bit like uh that, that that should have made you feel a little bit like the eyeball out didn't it 
Oh, I mean, I already was the oddball. Um, I feel like middle school is an awkward time for everybody, but like, it was also like a particularly awkward time for me being that like I'm trans um, and I didn't know it at the time, but like that was a particularly hard time for me. And I mean, I had plenty of garbage in rotation too. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, the, the pop music of the time, definitely a lot of metal because I had all these angsty feelings um, that I <laughs> now can contextualize as related to my gender identity. But I, I really picked that song because that was sort of this big opening for me in terms of, you know, my musical taste, these sort of, you know, long form bass grooves that I think I'm so into now with like house music. What were you listening before this big revelation? Do you remember your first musical love? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I had all sorts of stuff in rotation. Um, a lot of it just sort of makes me cringe now. Oh God, like My Chemical Romance, um, like Jason Derulo had some hit song that I liked. I was into the drums and I was like, way too into Led Zeppelin, I think, um, like more so than I think it's appropriate for like a young child to be. And like, you know, can't, can't knock them, um, especially from a drumming perspective. Um, like John Bonham's obviously a legend, but um, looking back on it now, I don't remember the last time I've listened to Led Zeppelin at this point in my life. Um, so it's just kind of funny um, what, what captivates a young, impressionable mind. But that was certainly, um, you know, maybe a, a, a detour for me. I kind of want to circle around to what you said at the beginning of your sentence there. Why does My Chemical Romance make you cringe? Because I feel personally offended. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, mostly because of the, the context in which I experienced and related to them. I think it's the same, like, um, I lump it in with, like, listening to them, like, Avenge Sevenfold, and then, like, some worse, like, heavy metal, black metal. I mean, the, like, a lot of the obvious, like, disturbed uh, system of a down, but then, like, more even, like, weird, screamy metal that I, I don't even remember the names of. And it's just all of these are sort of conglomerated together in my memory um, and very much tied to these feelings of angst and what I now know to be dysphoria, um, but at the time was even more confusing because I had no referent for why I felt so shitty. And I related to a lot of the, the angst expressed in these songs. And a lot of times, like the means by which I was relating to that angst was like, um, it, they're typically very like masculine angst. And now like, <laughs> I mean, I look, I, I, don't look back as fondly on that as I might like, like I remember having like some Shakira on repeat when I like also during this period. And like, I have, I just have more fond memories of that. Cause I'm like, Oh, that's so cute. Like, um, that was like one way for me to sort of connect with femininity through music in like this very private way where I just had my earbuds in and like, obviously I wouldn't let anyone know that like, this is what was on my iPod, but um, like that to me, I, I have a little bit more 
I don't cringe at as much as when I look back and think about my time listening to MCR. Sorry. <laughs> I am also so entertained that you um, mentioned Avenged Sevenfold as an example because I'm literally wearing an Avenged Sevenfold t-shirt as we're recording this. Um, <laughs> the type of, I've had this since my angsty days and now it's been downgraded to a sort of like pajama shirt. Nice. So if we're talking about this um, era you of, 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 your, of your life, um, this is before you found out about Herbie Hancock and dance music in general, but you were already in your middle school band. So what was the type of music that made you want to be a musician? Yeah, I definitely got into like rock first. It's also tough because like I was definitely into some dance music at this time, but it was like, it was mostly limited to Dead Mouse and Skrillex. Which, again, now I'm like, I obviously still could appreciate some Dead Mouse, but I think um, my bro step days are certainly behind me um, and better left in middle school. That's definitely <laughs> when I understand the cringe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can also cringe at that. Um, but yeah, I think what originally got me excited about music was I played drums from kind of early on. I want to say like maybe eight or nine And like, you know, I was very into like sort of metal, um, like I mentioned, um, I just mentioned them. I shouldn't be struggling to remember, uh, Led Zeppelin, like, yeah, who could forget them? Um, so it was that sort of stuff. Um, probably Blink-182, um, which is probably the full spectrum in terms of like rock drumming skill. Um, I was into plenty of stuff that was like more fast than it was good. Um, and I mean, there's obviously a particular talent to playing stuff fast and well, at like double time, but like, yeah, like I always wanted and then enjoyed having a double pedal on my bass drum. And that should probably tell you about a lot of my musical influence at the time, um, especially as a, like a drummer. What made you specifically go for drums? I don't know. I like, I like hitting things. <laughs> I mean, a little younger than that, I think I was forced into piano lessons, um, and that really just didn't stick. I hated that. And yeah, there's just, drums have always been captivating to me. Um, in rock, they, they're so foundational to the rhythm. And like, obviously later on with like getting into Herbie Hancock and stuff, I discovered, ended up get, like backing into a whole world of like, like funky drums that actually like contribute a lot of groove. Oh, I didn't even mention Nirvana. Like, um, <laughs> I don't know, like Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, Smells Like Teen Spirit was a big, um, I feel like that was like the go-to practice song when I was learning drums. Um, I feel like a lot of teachers just sort of gravitated towards that. And I mean, I was also influenced by the couple of drum instructors I had I feel like they propagandized me into whatever they were into um, which like who could blame them <laughs> which I think is probably how I ended up with some of my like old man tastes um, like Led Zeppelin I mean Led Zeppelin is just kind of like a required part of any musician's curriculum right like as soon as you start with any type of instrument like whether it's guitar or drums Uh, you're going to be playing some Led Zeppelin because, you know, that's the generation who's teaching now. 
But, you know, at some point, I can very well imagine that that era is going to fade away and we'll start teaching an entire new genre of music. For example, the one that we're going to listen to right now. Second track for today, favorite queer artist. Um, it's Bip by Sophie. artist Sophie I am surprised that we haven't had Sophie on the show before um definitely no should way. have happened yeah I'm as surprised as you are I'm also sad I never got the opportunity to see Sophie live because you know we all we all know what there what 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 happened there why did you specifically select uh, bip by Sophie for today's show uh, again it's it's just another banger of a track the vocals are just so compelling to me like I just I connect with them on a super emotional level and I think it was a you know a real important track for her career you know 2015 and yeah I'm so shocked that you haven't had Sophie on here before I almost felt like it was basic or like an obvious pick even though like obviously she's amazing and she deserves um <laughs> you know every bit of the uh the respect that you know, that older generation is giving Led Zeppelin, um, you know, to tie that in. Um, yeah, she's phenomenal. And I just think it's a great track. What's, yeah. the, what's the first time you, uh, you encountered Sophie's music? Um, I think it was, uh, it was well after 2015. Um, I think it was face shopping. And it was probably on the radio or a playlist mix or something. And I remember um, just being shocked. I think it was on the radio because I was like, this is crazy and this is getting radio play. And I've always been kind of interested in, you know, experimental and weird stuff. Um, and a lot of my own music in the past has gravitated towards that. And I feel like more recently, like a big task of mine has been reeling it in enough to make it compelling. And I feel like that's what Sophie did so well was take some of the most crazy experimental sounds that she just dreamed up and synthesized from scratch 
um, that sounded like nothing else and then put it into a compelling format such that like it could get radio play, which is obviously like hugely inspirational to me in terms of being a trans woman who wanted to pursue her music career. Um, it's like, well, if she could do it with the craziest sounding shit you've ever heard, you know, um, as a trans woman, it's like, wow, I don't really have any excuses then, do I? I just have to go for it. And to that, I feel like I owe her so much, you know? Yeah. Um, when it comes to, like, making the inaccessible accessible, I also feel like there's a deeper trans metaphor to it. Whether that's, you know, f making trans people more visible or just a general uh, playing with gender roles, Um so yeah, it, it it works on every level. I'm glad you brought that up. So when it comes to um, Sophie as a musician, what made you pick an older track instead of like one of the one of the one of the album ones? I don't know. That's still one of my favorite tracks by her. It's I don't know. I just find it so compelling, um, especially the vocal. Um, the whole thing of the uh, the Atecker remix, I'm probably butchering the name, um, but that's also worth checking out. She had said like the only person that could remix it uh, would be that group um, if she was <laughs> going to have a remix. And then they posthumously did that. And that's also a really cool track, um, slowed down and um, the vocals are pitched. Yeah, I just, I really enjoy that track. There's obviously so many great ones off the album and off of the remix album um, that I could have gone for. And a lot of her other production too, like uh, her production on Yeah Right uh, by Vince Staples, um, also so sick. <laughs> yeah, I could have, I mean, really why I picked that one is I didn't think too hard about it because if I had thought too hard about it, I would have wanted to pick every single one. <laughs> Have you ever had the opportunity to see Sophie in concert? Oh, I wish. No, and I actually uh, was just talking to someone the other day who actually did, and I was so jealous because, yeah, I, I could only wish. So when, um, when Sophie passed away, did that have a specific influence on your music? I don't know that that specifically impacted my music or what I was doing with it or what I've done since. It did have a really profound impact on me because, like, I had started, like, really, really getting into her maybe three months prior because at that point I was, um, you know, I was a little bit into my transition and I was starting to take my music a lot more seriously You know, I've been I've been playing the drums since I was really young, and I think I pirated Ableton when I was 12 or 13, um, and I've been messing around with that ever since. But I was getting to a point where I was I was settling into the fact that I was trans, and I was really thinking more seriously about music um, and about what I could do with my art, and like there she was. Um, making the craziest music as a trans person and being, you know, having success with that beyond my wildest dreams. And so to basically be, um, for about a three-month period of time, literally, I was so inspired by her. 
uh, prior to her passing. And then afterwards, I was still so inspired by her. But that inspiration was obviously clouded with this great feeling of loss. Um, I mean, I think she's literally a generational talent in terms of her sound design. I don't think, like, there are very few artists um, in the electronic space who I think have so carved out a totally unique, unheard of sound like that. I mean, maybe I would hate to compare it to, like, dubstep in, like, the late 2000s, early 2010s, but, like, it's that level of, like, something that's just totally unheard of that comes out of left field and it's like, what is this? Except, like, in Sophie's case, like, it's good. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, and there's definitely some sound design cues uh, that she took from those sorts of, um, you know, evolutions in in sound and what can be done with, you know, wavetables and stuff. But, you know, she just took things in her own totally unique direction. And, you know, I've heard interviews with her where she just questions all of these sort of foundational aspects of music and what can be done with music. Um, She's like, you know, why would I synthesize something to sound like a real instrument? Like, why would a snare sound like a snare? You know, and she has all this crazy metallic percussion sounds. Um, And it's like, yeah, the world's your, your oyster or whatever. Like, you could literally do anything with anything and make anything sound any way you want. And um, I think she really opened my mind up to the fact that with sound design, you could make literally any sound you could imagine. If you're good enough at your tools and you're imaginative enough, you could just create something entirely unheard of. And that's what she did uh, consistently. (laughs) And, um, And it's amazing. And so, yeah, I've been, you know, since then, she's inspired me to take sound design a lot more seriously and to really do the boring work of like learning the ins and outs of the tools so that I could try to, you know, create my own sound and create something unique. Yeah, you said you um, downloaded Ableton at a relatively young age, Um, like after you started playing drums already. What what, what made you make that decision, basically? Like what made you decide, um, I want to do more than just the physical act of drumming? Yeah, I think it came down to uh, who I was listening to at the time in terms of, you know, Dead Mouse, Skrillex, Swedish House Mafia, which is surprisingly, uh, they've become relevant again. And their new album is actually like really good, which I was I was kind of prepared to uh, to roll my eyes at. And instead, I was like, wow, they killed it. Uh, <laughs> so um You know, I was listening to a lot of electronic music and I realized that like beyond just drumming, I could do it all, which is like a really liberating idea because as a drummer, like, you know, I always wanted to be in a band, but I was sort of in a small town in South Florida. And, um, you know, I had like one friend who played guitar, but he, you know, neither of us were that good, but like there's just like it wasn't feasible. I was also like awkward and a lot of this is happening through a really confusing time in my life. So, I mean, the prospects for me being in a band were like so low and the idea that I could just do it all um, and that I could make really, really cool music. You know, I I thought all this 
electronic music was just so cool. And coming from the background I did of like Led Zeppelin, like it's then hearing Dead Mouse is like the most polar opposite um, in a really good way. Um, you know, mind opening, super interesting and super inspiring to be like, hey, I could do that too. You know, all these guys had like, I think I was lucky to come into it you know, this would be like around 2010. Um, and that was like the first time that like you could really do everything in the box proficiently, meaning like all in a DAW, um, you know, in software on the computer. And this is like, I mean, you go five or 10 years prior to that and, you know, all the music making software was kind of shitty and glitchy and slow um, from what I've heard, I don't have experience with it, but it sounded awful. And like Ableton's just this amazing, amazing creative tool. And yeah, I, I just was lucky to be getting into it at a time where it was totally accessible and with like, you know, just the home computer desktop was more than sufficient to run things pretty well. So yeah, I just... I messed around with it and I sort of learned the ropes and I watched a lot of like whatever YouTube content was available. Although, I mean, that area, things have just gotten better and better. And now you can really learn such a high quality of information from such a wide range of sources. Um, whereas I think, you know, YouTube is still pretty early and a lot of the content out there for learning Ableton on YouTube that was free was like not great. But so it's just a lot of trial and error um, supplemented by some, you know, like a tutorial of like, here's how the session view works. But it's not like, you know, now you can get like all sorts of cool videos on like, here's something crazy I'm doing with convolution reverb as like a creative effect. And it's like, whoa, that's such a cool production technique. And I feel like people are sharing what used to be super guarded, gatekeeped information about production. And now it's all out there for free. But yeah, so I, that was just a long-standing hobby of mine, and I would just sort of mess around with it. I would use it to blow off steam all through college and stuff. Um, and I got I got decent. Where in college I was making like I think pretty good beats, but they were I would call them now maybe a little uninspired. Um, and I think the big change there was my gender. <laughs> so, so I was just about to ask. I'm glad you brought it up. Like, how did your music change? Um, after you, like the way you put it earlier, settled into being trans? Yeah. Um, I think like just how, like before I knew that I could be trans and I felt like I was just sort of stuck living in this, uh, male body and life and social role that I didn't like, and I didn't feel congruous with prior to that, like in the same way that I would say that I wasn't really myself. Um, even though I literally was a person with a name that referred to the person who I was, I wasn't myself. And in the same way, my music wasn't myself. Like it wasn't, um, there's an aspect of myself that was just inauthentic and it was behind this knowledge that I could be trans. Um, it took me seeing representation of sort of three-dimensional trans people that I related to, you know, that weren't just appearing in a, you know, an Ace Ventura movie as the butt of a joke, um, to, for me to really like understand that I could be trans and that I could 
that was a possibility for me. And being able to know that and then actually take the steps towards realizing the gender that I I am, that I was just like socially barred from and like that was just previously inaccessible to me because I didn't even understand it as a real option. That sort of I guess I'm over um <laughs> I'm overanalyzing the fact that like the degree to which your own identity and own personality um as a trans person goes from being this sort of um mask that you develop in order to like perform the social roles expected of you by the sort of cis normative world and the way that you sort of unmask and become who you always really are or always really were or always really wished that you could be but you didn't even know that you could be and now you are and it's like a blossoming of authenticity and like the true self that you had to cover up because in middle school you were afraid of being bullied for being feminine and so you pushed all that down um that that journey of like and relation to the self in terms of authenticity is directly mirrored in music in my opinion stuff i made prior to my transition um after i learned the musical tools to a certain degree it wasn't bad i wasn't making bad music i think some of it's still interesting when i listen to it but it's just horribly inauthentic uh to me now and i don't know that another listener to another listener that may or may not even be clear but just like when i think about who i used to be um in order to get through life in order to you know not get bullied or to just um you know for social expediency to avoid embarrassment to avoid you know homophobia uh etc um it's just just like that it's not myself and that's not authentic but it's i was just doing the best i could at the time i think that the the music entirely parallels that in terms of now i feel like the stuff i'm making is like the reflection of who i really am because i've become who i really am <laughs> and like i couldn't have made authentic music when i was inhabiting uh, a social role etc that wasn't authentic to me so that's uh, i'm sorry to over intellectualize i guess but um i feel like that's what was going on Yeah, no, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. I mean, we're queer. We like we love to overanalyze stuff. Um before we dive into the real nitty-gritty of your own music, I feel like it's about time we uh play another track here. Um favorite concert experience uh it's called Make a Cake by Claude Von Stroke.
must be the weirdest collection of noises I've ever had on the show, and I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> Make a Cake by Claude Van Stroke. Um, I'm not entirely sure when this track was released, but you know, we all have, uh, we all have Spotify. You can find it. Um, look it up. I want to say 2014, but that's off the top of my head. Oh well, then that's actually a nice. Um, Nice link to Sophie as well, right? If they're both like they from from the same era type of um, type of type of music, um, I wanted to get back at what you uh, said before about how your music changed after um, after you came to terms with your with your gender. Um, can you can you hear it if house music is made by a trans person? Is there, is there something audible to it? I don't know. Um... Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a great question. Um, I don't think so, but I think after knowing um, more about the artist, you can't really help but see that in their work. And those things about a person, um, you know, gender, identity, queerness, um, you know, being a person of color, any of these sorts of, like, foundational aspects, uh, maybe not even foundational, but important, you know, aspects of your identity in terms of who you are, how you see yourself, how society sees you. I think those sorts of things end up being implicitly reflected in someone's music, uh, whether you like it or not. But I don't think you can just like hear something and be like, I bet that's a trans person. Um, but like after knowing that someone's a trans person, um, I feel like it might recast their music in a different light um, because I think little aspects of that, you know, no matter what kind of music someone makes, even if it's not lyrical, I think there's just some aspect of that transness or, or queerness or whatever that, uh, that sort of just works its way into the music. How does it work its way into your music? Like when you uh, said your earlier stuff sounds less authentic and uh, to a critical ear, maybe less inspired. And now something changed, but it, from what, from the way you explained it, the thing that changed the most is how confident you are in the stuff you're putting out. Um, because, from your description, I couldn't quite tell, okay, yes, this is the specific the specific part of your music that makes it actually sound different. Yeah, it's hard to say what that thing is that changed, you know? It's obviously not some easily describable, you know, technical quality or um, anything of the sort. It's really, it's a vibe. It's a... Um, You know, it's it's the subjective impression that I have that's the result of, like, a ton of different small factors. Um, and it's clouded by my own, you know, biases about the thing. But, yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's that I became a more authentic version of myself um, that I've always, to some degree, I've always wanted to be, but I didn't always know was even a possibility. And... By becoming so much more myself than I ever was, um, the music I'm making is so much more myself. That means a lot to me. It might not make 
a single bit of difference to someone else. I mean, someone might be, hey, I liked I liked the music that, you know, she was making back when she was repressing. <laughs> that could be someone's vibe. Maybe that's, um, you know, <laughs> that might be what does it for someone, um, but certainly not for me um, because I was a certain person then that I'm just simply not anymore. And I have a really, you know, interesting, tenuous relationship between who I was and who I am now, because they're almost literally two different people. And so they make two different kinds of music, and they're totally different. And the music I'm making now is so much more authentic to who I really am. Yeah, like, and I, to me, it's better. But that's my own subjective tastes. And I make the kind of music that I like and that I want to hear. So like, that's on me. Um, and in subjective matters, like, uh, there's stuff I've made in the past that I know is technically not bad, um, like in a technical sense, like it's, you know, decently well mixed and mastered and there's interesting instrumentation and a decent baseline and, you know, uh, good harmonies and melodies and such. Like it's not, it could be someone's cup of tea. Um, and it was my cup of tea at the time when I was that person, but now I'm not. And I like what I'm doing now so much better and i like who i am now so much better i wanted to focus on um, one little aspect of your music um the vocals in particular you pointed out during the sophie track that you loved the way she did the vocals how do you decide whether or not a track needs like a vocal sample or a top line it's really tough some tracks i think it's more obvious than others there's a lot of my tracks that like i certainly wouldn't mind to have vocals on but i'm at a point in terms of my own my own musical journey, I'm still very much trying to learn to sing well. Um, and even with all the processing in the world, singing is challenging. Um, and singing in the register that I'd like to, with some of the physical attributes I have from having gone through a male puberty, is difficult. And and just holding a, a pitch is hard. And so, you know, hitting the notes that I want to. And hitting them well enough that auto-tune will like pick up on that and hold those notes instead of doing the full T-Pain all over the map thing with the, the pitches that it's choosing. It's a challenge. And so I haven't, um, I haven't released almost anything with my own vocals on it. I think I did one little vocal sample for something that's currently out, but it's subtle. And I really, um, you know, I have some work in progress tracks that I've, I record and I re-record vocals for. And it's really just hard to get my own vocals there. A lot of the times when a track I have that I produce has vocals on it, it's usually because like every once in a while I dig for a good vocal sample on like Splice or something. And when I find a good one, like usually it'll be something like cheesy or not great. Um, I'll try to find one that has like more than one line. It's not just like a word but it's got to at least be a phrase or two. Um, and usually there'll be like one little bit of it that sticks out to me. And then I'll take just that little bit and I'll chop it up and I'll use a small fragment of, of the overall phrase. And that's like sort of, usually it's more like I find the vocal and um, when I'm in like a, a session where I'm like digging for that sort of thing, because um, every once in a while I go through, Splice is like a service where you can... Um, you like pay a monthly subscription and you get a certain number of credits 
And then you can download samples that are royalty-free, so you can use them however you want. And they have vocals and drum sounds and uh, synths and whatever. Um, and I mostly use it. I'll use it for drum sounds, and I'll use it for... Uh, sometimes you get good synth one-shots that you can put in a sampler. Um, and I use it for vocals. And so every once in a while, I just like spend 30 minutes to an hour digging around on their website, listening to a bunch of stuff that's not good and not what you're looking for. And I'll end up with a pile of gems, hopefully at the end of it, or at least a pile of, you know, decent candidates. I try to sort of, if something's good enough, I just indiscriminately download it. And then I'll look through that library of stuff I downloaded later. So during that process, like, I might hear something that reminds me of a track I'm already working on. And usually that's how a track and a vocal comes together for me, is that like I hear something and I'm like, I know the perfect track for that. And that's how that happens, typically. Speaking of your musical process, um, you sent me one of your songs for today's show. Could you introduce it a little bit? What, what, are, what are we going to listen to? Yeah, so this is a song I'm working on. Um, tentatively, it's probably going to come out um, early August, maybe as like a double single situation with another track that's of a similar vibe, maybe in more of an EP. Um, yeah, it's currently untitled. And it's, uh, I mean, as you'll hear, it's, it's pretty flume inspired. It's one of those tracks where I was working on it. Um, and then I found this neat vocal sample that was just like a really, a really short little vocal sample. And I just chopped it all up, pitched it all over the place, um, and really just took it as my own instrument to use. And yeah, it ended up sounding uh, very flumey to my ear. And I dig the style. And yeah, I think it's a neat track. It'll probably be coming out soon uh, whenever you're listening to this. So Hopefully by then I'll have a name for it. <laughs> so what's next for you? Like uh, you're perpetually releasing new music. Like what what can people expect from you? More of this, you know, I've really been exploring house music um, as it intersects with some of these more experimental noises, um, textures. I really like texture, um, all sorts of crazy synthetic noises that are popping off in different, like, you know, wide in the stereo field, narrow, um, creating grooves. And so that's a lot of my main focus. Um, but then also like, this is obviously like a slower tempo track that would be on the more difficult side to work into a house set. So I don't really know where that puts me, but I do know that, um, playing between these two sort of genre areas is where I'm limiting myself to now. The first album I put out had plenty of acoustic drums that I recorded some like bass guitar that I recorded um, and every once in a while I'll still do like a, a kind of disco house inspired track or I'm you know playing the bass probably octaves um, and uh, you know I love that but I'm really trying to in a sense you know to tie back to the Sophie thing it's um, trying to make my own you know not recording stuff as much um, And I, use, I honestly play the drums and the bass more to blow off steam now. Or sometimes I compose stuff on the bass and then put that into the, the DAW and just do it all synthetically. But I love the bass as a compositional tool. But like, um, I'm moving a lot towards like, let's see what sorts of 
sounds that I can create that are my own that don't sound like anything I've heard before or that, you know, um, evolve another sound I've heard in some way, you know, take someone's like sonic textural idea and just push that a little bit. But yeah, I'm forcing myself to conform to um, this nebulous, uh, you know, house genre just as enough of, you know, it's not a very strict limitation. Obviously, that's like a wide open, do whatever you want, but at least put some bounds on things. Like my first album, I had an instrumental funk trio track that I recorded where it's literally, you know, me on the drums, me on the bass, me on the keyboard. And I just, um, you know, I don't, that doesn't really jive with um, the kind of music I'm most passionate about making, even though I love that and I love doing that. But now I more so do that to blow off steam and I'm trying to push my career in one, I, I call it a more focused direction, but it's still literally wide open. It's literally just like, I need to make cool experimental electronic music that's somehow some hyper pop somewhere in between. That's at least enough of a limitation that I'm not coming out of left field with like a Samba album or something, <laughs> you know, just plays Bossa Nova. It's like, no, we got to at least put, those are like, they're wide bounds, but they're still, I need the boundaries. <laughs> All right. Um, let's have a listen. This has been Queer Sounds. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so through patreon.com slash queer sounds. Um, you can give us a shout out on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Tumblr. That's at Queer Sounds Pod on all of those things. Let's see. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if I'm forgetting any of the regular messages. Um, yeah. Either way, check out Jessica's stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Here's Just Jessica, Untitled Number One, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs>